Welcome to the TPS5 for the week of September 4th. TPS5 is a weekly recap of the latest in marketing, communications, and digital healthcare news as curated by the expert hosts of the Touchpoint Media Network. To learn more about Touchpoint Media, visit us online at touchpoint.health. Our lead story this week comes from The Atlantic and is entitled, The Most American COVID-19 Failure Yet, Contact Tracing Works Almost Everywhere Else, Why Not Here? As we know, an extremely effective way to combat a global health pandemic involves contact tracing. To illustrate how contact tracing works, this article shares this example. Let's say Aunt Sally tests positive for COVID-19. A tracer working for the local public health department calls her and asks for her contacts, anyone she's spent more than 15 minutes with recently, and asks her to self-isolate. Then the tracer calls those close contacts and asks them to self-isolate too. The tracer doesn't tell those contacts that Aunt Sally is the person who tested positive, only that someone they were in contact with did. Now, while this approach works extremely well in other countries, in the United States, the whole process is failing. There is no national contact tracing program, and contact tracers who work for the 40-plus local health departments in areas with the most coronavirus cases have reached just a fraction of the patients who have tested positive. For example, in Maryland, 25% of those called by contact tracers don't pick up. In Miami, contact tracers were able to reach only 17% of the infected. In Houston, New Jersey, and California, half of the people reached by contact tracers simply don't cooperate. Compare this to other countries. Less than 1% of sick people fail to respond to contact tracers in Iceland. And in New Zealand, 86% of people contacted by contact tracers respond within 48 hours. U.S. contact tracers are struggling for three main reasons. First, in the U.S., there are simply too many cases to track. The countries where contact tracing has worked best set up their tracing systems well before cases exploded. And as cases grew, they hired more tracers. The U.S. has not done this. In June, when states were in the throes of reopening, only seven states and Washington, D.C. met the CDC's recommendations of 30 contact tracers per 100,000 residents. Currently, only seven states are considered fully prepared to test and trace. States meet this threshold if they have a test positivity rate of 3% or less, provide test results in two days or less, and employ 5 to 15 contact tracers per positive test. Also, consider this perspective from Candace Shen, a health policy professor at George Washington University. She says, when we see cases rise, hospitalizations also increase. People are looking at contact tracing as this thing that's going to stop that, but that's not what contact tracing is able to do. What's more, once a tracer asks a patient to isolate, ensuring that they do so is hard, especially if they don't get paid leave from work, or if they live in a cramped apartment with lots of other people. A second reason why contact tracing is failing in America is because testing takes too long. In Iceland, those that test for the coronavirus at 10 a.m. often get their test result by 8 p.m. that same day. In the U.S., tests are taking days to come back, largely because there are too many different kinds of tests and no national testing strategy. This further hampers contact tracers' work, since those asymptomatic carriers are often walking around for days not knowing they have been infected, they are unwittingly infecting others and people are naturally less likely to remember the names of everyone they encountered over a five-day span, as opposed to whom they saw yesterday. Logistical testing delays are exacerbated by the quirks of the American healthcare system that are making it even harder for people to get tested and quickly quarantine. 
Many people can't get paid leave from work unless they provide proof of a positive COVID-19 test. And if a patient is feeling sick but test results haven't come back yet, they might be required or compelled to work in order to earn money. If test results take up to a week, they've already been exposing people for a week, said another Texas contact tracer, who asked to remain anonymous because she's not authorized to speak with the press. Lastly, and most significantly, is that many Americans fear and distrust their government. It's likely that the first time many Americans heard the term contact tracing was this spring. Before our global pandemic, some public health departments were very small, having lost a quarter of their workforce through aggressive budget cuts since 2009. And because the U.S. public health system has been enfeebled for so long, the public doesn't trust public health workers at a time when it's crucial that they should. When called by a department they've never heard of and asked for a list of all their friends, no wonder Americans aren't actively sharing information. And with the rise of anti-vaxxers and social media influencers that foment public distrust of our government, it has become even more complex. It doesn't help that contact tracing bill was H.R. 6666. This is despite the fact that the U.S. methods for contact tracing aren't especially aggressive. In South Korea, which conducted a very successful tracing operation, tracers use cell phone data and credit card transactions to find sick people's contacts. In the U.S., tracers rely only on phone numbers and names provided voluntarily by individuals. Contact tracing depends on trust, and many Americans don't trust the government enough to give up their contacts, let alone follow quarantine or masking orders. Steve Waters, head of Contrace, which helps connect contact tracers with health departments, said, In some areas, it's perceived as a political act to not participate in contact tracing. These trust issues have become especially significant in Black and Hispanic communities, two populations that have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19. They are more than twice as likely to get COVID-19 and more than four times as likely to be hospitalized with it. Several experts indicated that wariness of the government in these communities have also been exacerbated by the current administration's public charge rule, under which immigrants might jeopardize their green card if they accept public benefits, like health care. People have more trust in public health workers when local health departments, governors, and the president speak with one voice. But some officials have downplayed the virus, some have taken it seriously, and others have ignored it entirely. As this pandemic wrecks havoc on our country, more and more systemic issues are rising to the surface, making it clear that America has a long way to go in managing this disease more effectively. And you could read more about this article in the show notes. And now, other articles from this week. VentureBeat.com published an article sharing how Google has released a data set of search trends for COVID-19 symptoms, which includes Google's search trends for over 400 symptoms, signs, and health conditions, drills down to the U.S. county level over the past three years, and is intended to help researchers study the link between queries and COVID-19 spread. Jane Surison Khan published a blog post called The Next Normal Healthcare Consumer After the Pandemic. In it, she shares insights from a recent McKinsey research report and how that impacts the next normal health consumer. Her insightful article is full of research, data, and graphs, and is well worth a read. The American Marketing Association asks via one of its articles, is your website prepared to capture telehealth traffic? In it, they share how search traffic has affected healthcare and how providers can better market their telehealth programs through their website. And lastly, be sure to read an interesting interview featured on Forbes.com called The Three Types of Loyalty and Why So Few Companies Excel at Reaching the Pinnacle. 
Judd Marcello, former EVP of Global Marketing at Cheetah Digital and current EVP at Connexium, suggests that there is no customer journey and marketers should stop trying to manage it. Instead, they should focus on developing engaging experiences that lead to loyalty. And that's it for this week's TPS 5. If you like the latest in healthcare news in an email format delivered weekly to your inbox, be sure to subscribe to the TPS report, which you can sign up for on the Touchpoint Media website at touchpoint.health. Here in Minneapolis, the fall weather is already upon us. So please have a safe Labor Day weekend, and we'll see you next week.